Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Today's show features Jeff Galea, founder and president at Boca Tech and Automation. Jeff's work experience includes positions with General Motors and a Silicon Valley startup prior to taking his passion for high-end electronics and launching Boca Theater and Automation in 2003 in South Florida. Today, Jeff's team focuses exclusively on integrating luxury AV and control systems into homes, yachts, and businesses in some of the most prestigious spaces in the United States. Boca Tech and Automation continues to rank among CE Pro top 100 integrators in the US, and two of their projects were even featured in HDTV's top 10 luxury home theaters. We live streamed this interview on the One Firefly Facebook page on Wednesday, February 10th, 2021, at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In this conversation, we discussed how a COVID-inspired look behind the scenes for the design community turned into a successful weekly seminar series. The importance behind educating consumers to improve sales and communication. Jeff's showroom powered by Rosewater Energy and his take on the battery storage category. Jeff's business outlook for 2021 and why he will be focusing on recurring revenue. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's jump into my interview with Jeff Galea. Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm very well. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate you. I know you're a super busy guy and uh, you have a, a beautiful showroom and all of these awesome outreach courses that you and team are doing and you guys are running fast and furious. And I appreciate you taking some time for our audience for this interview. You're very welcome. So Jeff, those that may not uh, know Boca Tech and Automation, can you get, first of all, just give us a little bit of a summary. Tell us about the business. Sure. Um, we started the company in 2003 after two years of, of R&D. Uh, we incorporated in, in 2003. Um, we've got uh, 20 direct employees and a good network of partners that we work with. And we do all forms of, of automation, everything from lighting and shading and control. Um, some unique things that we do that perhaps other integrators haven't gotten into yet is outdoor entertainment systems that include motorized pergolas, as well as you know the traditional um, outdoor audio, video, um, pool control, irrigation control, things like that. Um, we also are big into clean energy and, um, <clears throat> you know, with uh, various products coming onto the market now, and we can talk about more about that later, but um, all of that kind of put together over the years, we've kind of created a fairly comprehensive um, inside, outside, and in-between. We even also do security doors, <laughs> which is our in-between. So access control systems and uh, ballistic entries. Holy well, that's like safe room type stuff. If someone, you know, uh, high value target wants to keep their family safe from the gunman, that's <laughs> what, what doors do you buy? 
Yeah, I mean, it could be anything from a hurricane, motorized hurricane screen, um, all the way to um, a, a motorized door that you might put on a theater or a bedroom. It's not like a Jodie Foster run up in a room and close the door kind of a thing. Kind of the visual that I was imagining yeah. when you said that. I appreciate the clarification. Yeah. That's that that's that's cool. Are you doing mostly resi work, commercial work? And yeah, um, we're we're almost exclusively um, residential. Um, we have done conference rooms. Um, you know, a couple of marine things, lar a large uh, yacht that we did, um, two hundred footer, six decks. So we've we've done some of that stuff, and some of our projects are large enough. I would say they're commercial, but we focus on on luxury residential. And mo what geography or territory? You mentioned a yacht. So do you have to go to Monaco to service that yacht or go to the Caribbean to service it? Or do you try to keep most of your stuff to South Florida? We've gone all over for, for a client. Um, usually we have to go up to Steamboat up in the uh, um, you know, Atlanta area. We drive up there for that. Or they'll be down here in Palm Beach. Primarily we're in, um, in the South Florida, Palm Beach County, Broward, you know, Tri-County area. Um, we go as south as, say, Fisher Island. We do have a client in Chicago. And um, <clears throat> so it's, if people have multiple homes, we, we tend to get out of our, um, our county, if you will. But mostly, mostly we're local. In terms of soliciting new business, you're soliciting business in the, you know, close to home sort of. Absolutely. Way. Yes. Yes. Um, Jeff, you have a, you're, you're an engineer by education. Is that correct? Correct. So where, where, how did your career start? I, I want to say that you're an electrical engineer and uh, kind of walk us through studying electrical engineering and, and you've taken a pretty fun path to get where you're at today. Yeah, it's a little, perhaps a little bit unusual. I, I, you know, I joke with everyone. I tell them, you know, I was sort of born with a battery in my pocket, right? Um, I've always known what I wanted to do from the very beginning. I've been a tinkerer. Um, when I was in college at General Motors Institute, which is a five-year college with a, you know, you do a fifth year, a thesis year. My nickname there is Gadgets Galileo. Um, you know, it, it because I, I was always the guy that had, you know, some sort of electronic thing I was tinkering with, soldering, making PCB boards, doing whatever. Um, I, you know, built my first pair of speakers myself, you know, like, you know, that kind of a geek thing uh, the visual of Kevin is like in the 80s they had that movie weird science where uh they uh, i want to say those kids went to mit am i getting the movie right we're uh, no you're right and, and we used to joke at general motors institute is the guys that flunked out of gmi they went to mit and were on the dean's list how about that oh, that's a nice <laughs> thing if i have yeah. any mit graduates i want you yeah. to comment for sure yeah uh, you studied electrical engineering. Did you even know of this residential integration universe yet? Or was that even a twinkle in your eye? No, and see, that that's the thing. That is the thing. I always thought that this was just me and my gadget and no one else would ever care. Or, and at some point, I stopped caring that no one cared about what I cared about, right? But um, so just, just to, to give you an idea, because I... Um, I went to General Motors Institute, that's in Flint, Michigan, right? And the way that that school works, it's a co-op. So you have to have a sponsoring General Motors facility. Mine was Syracuse, New York. So I would go between Flint, Michigan and Syracuse, New York every semester 
90 days here, 90 days there for five years. Did my thesis in Syracuse. Well, what this did is it, it got me moving around to where I ended up moving for General Motors, which then became Electronic Data Systems. Um, and so as I went to house to house to house, um, when my wife and I were first married, we, we'd actually, in a 15-year period, moved 11 times and bought and sold 11 different homes during that time. So from Syracuse, New York, to Boca, Hernan, Virginia, um, Research Triangle Park, San Francisco, Alameda Island, San Jose, like we were all over the place. Every time I got to a house, I would do my thing, which would usually involve a motorized screen and projection, a built-in rack, networking. I hosted my, you know, my own mail server, my own website. I was just into that kind of thing. I built my automation systems on, on an X10 backbone for lighting back in the day. That's what we had available to us, right? And uh, that's like one blog. step away from duct tape and paper clips. Um, it was, yeah, it was that, and that was my extreme hobby that I always wished I could, like, get out of the corporate world and do that legit and and make a living on it. By then, we had three small children, and yeah. So, to your question, did I know that this world existed? You know, absolutely not. Um, it was. When we were in California and we had guests, I was uh, I, I was in a startup um, and I had founded this company and we were on the track to go public and and I had you know various people come to the house and they'd look at kind of the toys that I had, touch panels, lighting control, projection systems, and so on. They're they're like, uh, have you ever thought about doing this as a business? I'm like, nah, no one cares about this. this is just my thing, right? And uh, they're like, no, I actually think it's a thing, you know. And um, so when I came back, I had an opportunity to come back to Boca Raton. And that is when I made the, uh, the leap. And I thought, you know, I sold the, the, the company that, that I had founded. It was called Cybrant uh, to a company called Blue Martini. And at that time, I thought, you know, I, I've got enough cash that I can live without a paycheck long enough to make something work. I rolled the dice. And uh, little did I know that it was actually a thing. And I started to get plugged in. That's when I met you the first time. I was trying to figure out which technologies to use. And I was interviewing everyone because I was coming from a, I'm a CTO for a corporate trying to figure out what to do. And, and uh, I really had a completely different view of the planet. Now from the other side, looking in, I was probably that asshole that you didn't like to talk to. <laughs> I'm gonna plead the fifth and and keep that. No, I'm just joking. No, you were. I remember you were a super swell guy. I remember you asked me a lot of questions that I did not have the answer to. I, I think that's what I remember from 20 years ago. Right. And that that wasn't too hard to do, but um, that's neat. So when you what what happened next? Right. So you you decided to launch the business. Did it take off? Did you burn a lot of money? Because you, you self-funded, correct? Self-funded. I, I learned one thing. Um, I've done a number of companies in, in my lifetime. And the Silicon Valley one was extremely frustrating to me because it was successful. We got patents. We had all the right juice. And, the, and we were VC capitalized. And um, so even though you know I was a founder, I got like zero, <laughs> you know, and I, and I, no, I, I love the work. So don't get me wrong. I, I don't regret any of it. But when I did this one, I'm like, you know what, I, I'm just going to do this myself. 
And so I, I contacted family members, honestly. Um, my dad, who is also an engineer, he, he's an, an MEE, also a GMI graduate. He was retired and bored. Um, my brother, um, he, you know, he was the finance guy, he's the MBA. Um, and then I had a, uh, um, another relation, a brother-in-law, and he was a mechanical engineer. And I'm like, just imagine if all of us put our heads together, you know, and put this thing together. So they actually relocated all of them to South Florida to be part of the business originally. And the operating agreement went, we all put a certain amount of money in, obviously I funded the majority of it. And then we're going without paychecks for three years. Nine months later, there's a the amendment to our operating agreement. We could actually start paying salaries after nine months. The, trust me, that was lucky because we happened to be in the right place at the right time. And there was a lot of construction. I didn't, it was uh, what I call unconscious competence. 03 to 07 in South Florida was a boom. It was a boom. And I happened to get in the right place at the right time. Another provider um, was overwhelmed with the amount of business and crumbled. I came from a different organization, was looking at more like I would run a corporate engineering department. I, and I used to have 150 engineers reporting to me, organization, project planning, things that are not really natural in our industry now um, were the way it was done. You know, when you work for large companies, IBM, Transocean, like all of these, Netscape, I work for, you know, all these companies, you definitely have to think of it differently. This isn't like seat of the pants, email planning. This is actually project planning. And by doing that, I was able to manage a number of projects um, simultaneously. And we ended up with a pretty good following there. So we, we got we got lucky. I, I would say what's luck is the intersection of being prepared and having an opportunity. So that was our luck at that time. No, that's brilliant. How did you guys weather the 08, well, I guess it was maybe 09, 08 to 10 kind of recession period? Did you have enough uh, momentum coming from your startup to kind of carry you guys through that or, or what, what happened? Those were some dark days. Um, we did have momentum, um, but we were worried. We, we planned to buy a um, buy or build a company that would use our infrastructure as an incubator. So, you know, we happen to have a data center and a lot of, you know, obviously I have an IT background. Um, so I had, a, I had a client that was in his 80s and wanted to sell a company and it was called Microwave Distributors. It was a radio frequency electronics um, manufacturer and distributor. And I ended up buying the company, the, the idea and relocating it from New York, Long Island, down to Boca. And the idea was to create an online web presence to sell cable assemblies and other high frequency radio electronics from this, you know, from this company that was actually 50 years old. And um, anyway, I ended up kind of defocusing, if you will, and working on something that was that could also bring revenue in. It turned out it was probably one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life. Um, okay, <laughs> we have to buy lessons along the way, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I'm still getting educated to this day. So I, I, I had bought that company, and um, we we ended up, um, you know, sort of undoing that. What seven years after the fact, 
but that was part of the strategy and it was good for a little while, but it was not sustainable the way that, that I wanted it. And besides my passion is what we're doing now. And um, I could not hire presidents and other people that could run it properly. And so I, I had, I had to do something. I had, I had to kind of reel it back in. So Jeff, you, I want to get into 2020 and, and some of that stuff and kind of what you guys have planned, but I, I'm, I know something, but I don't know the exact timing. And so I want you to kind of talk through it for our audience. And that is, I know, because I, I was I was chatting with you in advance, that a couple of years ago, you went to an ASEAN event. And um, which location was that? Do you remember? Yeah, it was Bonita Springs. Bonita Springs. So that was, uh, it was here in Florida, on the west coast of Florida. And... You and your CFO attended, and you walked away from that event, you said, with a bit of an epiphany. What, what was that epiphany you had? Yeah, so prior to that, the websites that BTA had, Jeff coded by hand in Notepad with HTML, okay? That'd be me. And uh, that was our marketing effort, right? And I did have someone whose part-time job was to pay attention to marketing, so we had you know, we had nice logos and business cards and a little trifold brochure, but um, we weren't really serious about marketing. And one of the things that I wanted to do at the ASEAN conference, um, and, I, and by the way, I, I hated doing those things. So I usually send somebody else, right? This one was right in our backyard. And so I'm like, you know, what the heck, let's go. And, and I had my aha moment. It's like, you know, we are out in the weeds, we're, we're leaving. So I got a website and it's an encyclopedia with an index because, you know, that's me. I don't read books. I, if it doesn't have a table of contents and an index, I'm not really interested in it, right? So, um, and that's kind of the way I approached uh, marketing. It was very analytical and, you know, and so on. I just realized it was not me. This is not me. This is not my skill set. I needed, so I interviewed the, the, the people there at Osio and there was a breakout session and they said, you know, you you really need to have marketing. Um, I think you might've even been at that event. And, um, you know, I always okay. thought, oh, website's better than, than, you know, whatever, right? And so we don't really yeah. need that stuff. I got inspired and I came back and that was my number one mission is to find a, a full-time resource that could show me how it's done and lead us. And, um, and that's how we found Marcio. It was it was a little bit serendipitous where we, everything sort of came together at the same time. Uh, this this high end guy that I really didn't even know what marketing was. He taught me that he created things called a, a mind um, a mind map, which mm -hmm. I would think of as a Vulcan mind merge, but uh, it's really more <laughs> of a mind map. <laughs> yeah. So he put that whole thing together, and I looked at this big picture view and the strategy kind of like having a mission statement for a company. And really, I would say, and the rest is history, right? Because without his leadership and guidance, I don't think I would have, I would have been able to see the value in it. Because, you know, guys like us, like, what did you sell today? What did you do? Well, this stuff is an investment. And it takes all this effort and work to kind of keep it going and keep it going. And then you start getting a following and people listen and, and, and so forth. But it's not instantaneous. It's it's hard to measure. It's hard to know if you're doing it right, you know? 
or, or an, an engineer or a scientist type or engineer type that wants to know exact inputs equaling exact outputs, it can be very frustrating. Right, right. So uh, you guys worked on many different aspects of your marketing, and I'm, I'm going to share your website here with our audience. Um, I'm going to put it on the screen. And for those that are um, listening, uh, the domain is a very cool domain. It's bocatech.com. So B-O-C-A tech, T-E-C-H.com. And uh, I'm, I've navigated over here, Jeff, to this learn more section of your website. And it specifically, I'm on the get started page. So for those that are listening and want to navigate there, and you have this really cool graphic, and this page is loaded with information, but it's visual. It's not you know dense blocks of text, which would be scary or intimidating. Can you talk us through what what are we looking at here? Yeah. So <laughs> interesting thing there is that is that infographic as we've come to to refer to it. That was a three D scan of a real live house. Um, it's actually my house, believe it or not. It was an oh. experiment. Yes, nobody knows this. It's a private audience. Academy. Now everyone knows it. It's going to be front page of Seton Pro next, next month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, de definitely not, not that. But uh, I wanted to figure out how to do um, like large-scale 3D imaging for both inside a house, because I have the same thing for the inside, as well as outside. And I was interested in doing uh, like a VR headset, look around, you know, let's model this like that. That was where I was going. So this was an experiment, an expensive experiment to create this 3D model, Revit, AutoCAD, all that other stuff. But as we started to build it and, and, uh, and look at it, one of the problems we have in our industry is to have any conversation with anyone on any topic. And I don't care whether you're talking about Lighting, oh, we have pan lights, we have hybrid, we have RF, we have this, we have that, right? And then, um, or or you go to wiring, or you go to, you know, audio, or you go to video distribution, distributed, centralized, this, that. You end up, like, in this mode where you have to explain everything you've learned over a 20-year period just to get to the point where we can have a rational conversation about what do you need, right? And so this thing focuses it for me. It's something where I don't have to tell you everything that we ever do. You can click on it. If you're interested, you can read about that topic. As you click on each little icon, it'll bring up the webinars that we did on it, any background information. And so it can be that kind of way of having this top-down approach to teaching people about what's possible, because that's, that's one of the reasons why we get in these long conversations. People don't know what they don't know. You know, at the same time, you don't want to sit there and, you know, you know, chapter one infrastructure, right? I mean, <laughs> do you find yourself sending clients to this page to study it in advance of a kickoff meeting? Constantly, constantly. It is our go-to page. I've taken the infographic and put it in our professional services agreements and circled the technologies in the scope. We're doing this, this, and this so that they know that I intentionally didn't do the other ones which is another big problem. We talk about 50 things and everybody forgets what they actually bought by the time they go to do it. And then like, I thought we were doing that. So this is a real good way of just honing it in these complex topics 
which you could spend a week on each icon if you if you were interested and focus it to what is important to that client. That's that's brilliant. And, and if you're listening to the podcast, folks, you need to go over to bocatech.com and go to their menu, learn more and go to the get started page and you'll you'll see what you'll see visually what uh, Jeff is describing. Um, now, Jeff, one thing that I I know you guys have had a lot of success. I want to call it recent success, but correct me if that's not accurate. Um, is around the outreach to the design community. You know, the idea that if you if you do marketing and you secure a homeowner, then great, you have a job, and maybe you they'll tell somebody about you, and you'll you'll get their friend's job. But if you if you build a relationship with an architect or a designer or other member of the design community, they can feed you with lots of jobs, lots of relationships and opportunities. And so you guys have run with that. Tell us about what you've done. Right, so um, when the pandemic hit and you know we all of a sudden found ourselves all sitting in here without you know, a lot of interaction with clients, it was, um, a little introspective where we could look in and, and think about the business of running a business and talk about working on the company for a minute rather than working in the company exclusively, which as you know, you can get, you can get into those details and suck you into a hole that you'll never come out of. Um, Marcio had the idea to, to create a behind the scenes uh, view, not unlike this automation unplugged. We, so we did our first one and it was, how does BTA run its company? And we showed that we, so we're a Cisco house. Um, we are software as a service or what they call Cisco SaaS certified. So we thought interesting to talk to our business partners about all the technologies we were using. We were already doing video teleconferencing routinely in the company for more than a year and business class networking with Cisco Meraki um, and, and then SharePoint and KPIs and some of these other things. So we thought we would just create a seminar to help our business colleagues understand how we did ours and to see if that was something that, um, that they could learn from us. And then it sort of evolved into the other technologies, whether it be LED lighting, um, you know, circadian rhythms, those kinds of like thought-provoking kind of technologies, battery technologies, um, lighting control, uh, you know, video distribution, audio design elements, and and we so Marcia put together this set of uh, uh, courses, and it started to take off where we were getting attendees coming and listening every Wednesday. We 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 started to call it season one, then season two, and now we're going to be doing season three where we, we're part of the ASID South Florida chapter. And so we are, we're communicating to the ASID colleagues of ours. And then, you know, the, the idea was the more they knew about what we did and the possibilities, we could do better things together by integrating technology with design. And also we do realize that the design community has our client's ear typically before we do. So by putting that together and then offering credited courses for continuing education, we started to get, you know, 10 people, 15, 20, 30 that would go. And eventually we invited clients 
and clients started to join. And it just sort it sort of took on a life of its own. I, I don't think that we started out thinking after that one sort of behind the scene, take a look at Jeff's office kind of a thing would, would go into something that would go on for 33 hours every Wednesday for the better part of the year. I mean, it was, it became a, you know, just kind of took a life of its own and, and we got a lot of good feedback and, and it turned out where now um, we have a, a, an audience and, and we have a new partnership with the, a local interior designer here as a result of that. I mean, I'm talking the whole company um, where we have a, an official partner program that kind of was born out of that idea. Yeah, that was going to be my, that's why I'm sure some of those that are listening were curious is, do you know that you've secured business or do you think that you're investing clearly significant time into this, with you and your staff and your partners, right? There's, I'm scrolling through all of these, so many different companies and groups that have been a part of this along the way. Do you find uh, you're you're pretty clearly able to attribute growth or or sales from these activities? Well, it, it's it's a, again a hard thing to measure because we're influencing the influencer. Um, Chris Smith asked a question in there just now. Says, uh, are those behind the scenes oriented to AIA, ASID, or both? And the answer is both. Um, so we're I'm seeing. Uh, leads come in from our business partners now that we did not enjoy before. I'm also seeing people sign up and downloading seminars on our website that we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had that kind of visibility before. I've had people ask me about it. Um, and, and so I know that there's a, there's sort of another level of conversation that maybe I'm not hundred percent locked into if people are talking about you and, and it's one of those things, if you, if you're top of mind, when they do have the need, they think of you. It's not like everybody that's watching these seminars has something they need from us today. They're coming to them because they want to learn something or they want to be clued in on, on something, or they're interested in the topic first, the personal level. And then at, at some point they have a need and then they like, Oh, I think I heard that. Let me go and contact them. So it, it's it's not an A B kind of thing. It's more this momentum thing. And I I would absolutely say, given the amount of leads we get in from the website in particular, um, that come through our our email um, connection there, fill out a form thing, that um, the volume has picked up as a result of that, and they're they're higher quality because I think people are a little more educated when they when they come to us and they kind of know a little bit more about it. Uh, and they're asking questions to us as opposed to me having to pontificate, right? It's it's more like I'm 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 a consultant, which is really the, the role I'm more comfortable in. I don't like to sell. I like to you just kind of like explain and answer educate yeah. and solve problems. And that's that's where stuff. I'm at. Yeah. Qu question those that are listening that would like, I mean, this clearly uh I've been a fan of this type of strategy for a long time, and I'm sure some are listening and going, huh, this is maybe something I could do. What are some advice on how to get started, how to think about it? Maybe, you know, I'm going to just maybe put out there one of the concerns they may be thinking about, and that is the limitations on their time, right? They may go, my goodness, I don't have time to put together a course. Well, I don't have time to, to you know, 
figure out all of these logistics? Where would you point your peers around the world listening to this? Where, where could they get started or how could they get started with such an effort? Well, I, I think the, the first thing is you need a champion. It's like any project, whether it's you know an automation project for a client or a project you're doing internally, there has to be someone who isn't, you're not begging to do the job. They have to have the passion to do it. They have to create a plan. They have to get a budget. They have to be serious about managing to that budget. And, and you, you have to figure out where you're gonna place those bets. A number of companies, Lutron, for example, has MDF funds. Crestron is a, but a lot of these companies will, particularly the larger ones, will contribute if they see value in it. And, uh, and they'll either contribute by doing the presentation that you organize and bring the audience, um, or by contributing some marketing funds to it, some MDF funds of that, that point. Um, so I, I'd say start out with a plan, make sure you have a champion and someone whose job it is to think about this. And it's not like, you know, like trying to sell on eBay, right? We all try that. That lasts about a week and everyone gets bored with it. And then you, you just have a mess in your warehouse, right? You got to find somebody who's going to do it and take it seriously and follow, follow a plan and adjust that plan with feedback. Jeff, I want to jump into a specific category only because it's, it's been, um, you know, I've been involved personally in this in, in some capacity the last few years. And I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going. And I know our audience will be curious to see how it's going. So the, the premise is around whole home battery backup. And I know there's a number of different vendors. Uh, I'll just say two that are obvious to me, and that's Rosewater and Sonin. And you probably know of maybe more. I know Savant uh, is also Race now Point. in, that, yeah, with Race Point. Uh, they're in that business. Um, what inspired you to go down that path? And I know you have. Uh, and how's it going? What, what's happening out there in the marketplace? Right. Great question. Well, I, I mean, I have been insanely interested in this topic since before there was a Rosewater to buy to the point when, when I finally got to a point where we could buy our own building. Okay. So we bought this building, which used to be a Wachovia bank, and we knew we had to gut it and take all the bulletproof glass out and all that other stuff, start all over from scratch. Did you get to keep uh, the safe though? Oh, we kept the safe. We, we, it's a vault. Um, we have our theater in there. And, oh, and that's we, cool. Yeah, we like to tell people there's more money in that vault than when it was safety deposit boxes. <laughs> right. um, but uh, so I had initially thought that I would build this because of my background and my interest in it. And I started to, you know, sort of get educated on photovoltaic uh, panels and power. I created all kinds of, you know, power factor kind of spreadsheets to try and figure out how much juice would I need and blah, blah, blah. And I quickly learned that even though, you know, I have a background in this stuff, I really don't know enough to do it. And, and I don't think I would know enough to be able to create a credible product to sell to someone else. I might be able to experiment on myself, but it would be back like 30 years ago when I was basically entertaining myself with my own gadgets instead of creating something that, of value that was sustainable and, and could be supported over a long period of time and that we'd all trust all of our electronics to. So talk to Joe Piccarilli, and we became the very first building totally run on Rosewater. We were the first deployment. So our entire 
Yeah, believe it or not. So uh, this became a case study. So we, we have a, a hub um, here and we have uh, two 8KW solar arrays on the roof that feed it. We're grid aware, uh, FPL um, buyback, they call it net metering. So we're a member of that. And um, so we, we designed this building with little outlets. You might see behind me in the picture, the green outlets. Yes. Those are plugged right into the Rosewater system. So all of our PCs, our AV systems, the I, our IT room and so forth are all running on Rosewater. Um, and, and, and they're just differentiated by these green outlets. So that was a, a big deal. Now, as we have, I've now sold a number, six Rosewater systems total. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how many uh, other people have, have done. I don't really keep track of that, but uh, those are those are big dollar. Those are big ticket items. That that has to be one of. I mean, I'm imagining a, a lot of volume for a dealer to be selling six of those units. The, yeah, those are six figure sales, um, and, and they're important, and and they require a lot of planning and critical load panel and load calculations and things like that. And the Rosewater engineers are are top notch. Um, and, I mean, so that came together beautifully. I trust it and. It's, it's like when you get that product that you know no one will ever be dissatisfied with, the only thing they complain, might, maybe it's a lot of money. That's this one. Like, it will never fail you. In fact, my demo, I go over there and I, we have a big blade switch that kills the power feed to the entire building. When I demo and say, we want to see what it does, and I flip the blade switch, it goes, you know, and nothing happens. And, it's you know, instantaneous. Like, there's no, there's no there's transfer no time. Transfer. It's perfect. And I've done it enough to like, I shock everyone. It's fun to, to do that. That's how I get my jollies. But um, I imagine it, the first time you did it though, you had to have been scared. <laughs> a little bit, but we have so many outages, micro outages here, Florida flicker and flashes, like a, is our deal. It happens so often, even on a sunny day that I know how it performs. Well, yeah, that, there you go. There's a picture of the, uh, that doesn't have the solar grid on, which would be the green part, but uh, there you go. And now since then, we've learned about Sonnen and RacePoint. Um, we've done those in our seminars. They, they actually fill different needs. Um, and so I'm, I'm very, very interested in that entire topic. And I want to be both a thought leader and an integration leader in that area. I believe that that is the future. Uh, our grid is failing. and and it's whether it be storms and, and other environmental kinds of things or just capacity, like we have down here in Florida, everybody's moving down here all at once and we don't have enough power generation or just the age of the grid. You put all that stuff together and we're in trouble as a nation. And I think that this is an area that really, really is going to become a category I would encourage everybody to, to start thinking about. How... I'm going to get very maybe granular just on one little aspect of battery backup and storage. And I'm curious how it's playing for you and your, your interactions with your clients right now. And that is there's a, a compelling story when you have solar and solar is, is gathering the energy during the day and you're able to store that into a battery and use that battery at night or, or during the day. Um, what is your experience? Are all of your system sales with solar or is there a sale without solar? Yeah, ironically, the only person I ever sold solar to is myself. 
all of our installations with Rosewater have been just on the grid or as a load on a generator. There has been no solar, even though you think, okay, we live in South Florida, but between HOAs, roofs, hurricane codes, and all the other complications and the expense, because the ROI is kind of not really there. You know, it's really not. I ran it for myself uh, about a couple, I bought a new house, this, this where I'm at right now. And I, I was like, I want to be green. I want to do the solar. I want to do the battery because that's hip. And then I, I did the math and I was like, hey, I would be totally doing this to say I did it. Not because this thing's going to actually make me money. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think it depends on your energy rates. And that, that is not, that well, is not all true around that's the world. Because my brother lives in Tampa and he runs his entire house on, on solar and his power bills are in the negative numbers. And he's got yeah. a small house, a large solar array, no batteries. Okay. And that actually, the math worked for him with all the credits and all this other stuff. The beauty is it's math, right? It's, you can yeah. calculate it. You can look at energy rates. You can look at your ability to, to draw power from the sun, depending on your panels and the square footage of your panels. Sure. Um, but for, I, I, so what I was curious about is if solar isn't the play, is it the play of protecting the expensive electronics in the home? That's absolutely the play with rose water. Okay. okay. And that, that is how I sell it. You're running on rose water and nothing is going to get past that firewall. Okay. Don't put inductive loads like large air conditioners, motor loads and things like that on the output of the rose water. Keep that isolated. Right. So you have this little firewall of electricity and I even run a, an ISO ground, a separate ground. So we have our own ground plates, all the TVs in the house come back to a central switch in the closet, but they're all on the same ground plane. Right as opposed to whatever outlet happened to be in the room that the TV was in. Think about outdoor TVs, think about indoor TVs and so on. You bring all that together as well as your home office and other uh, sort of critical things and they are protected 100%. And I really view it as the rose water is what you're running on and then you're either charging the batteries from the grid, assuming there's no renewable, the grid or from a generator. So if the generator takes 10 seconds to kick on and it sputters and gives you a really bad sine wave when it's starting up, you're still on battery, you're fine. And it just kicks over when it's safe and now it's charging again. So that is the Rosewater play. Very different than Sonnet. Sonnet, I would say, is a silent generator. It is more of a, of a generator augmentation for when you didn't design enough capacity on your generator or maybe you're in a condo and you can't do that, but you put a Sonnet battery in there. Um, but it, it is really more about that, making sure you have power all the time for everything um, and not, it, there, there is a transfer delay. It's like 300 milliseconds. It would kill electronics, right? They actually say use a UPS, right? To, to bridge that gap. It's very, very different. It's not, no lightning protection. It's not about that. It's, it is about why people buy a generator. It just happens to be very, very clean, silent, and you know, no fuel to put into it, right? And you can put it on the wall inside your apartment in a condo. I, I, it's a different use case, very interesting, very exciting, really. Is battery storage a category? It does, I mean, is it a profit, a profit maker? Is it a money maker for an integration firm? Should folks listening start to try to figure this out? Or is it ready for that yet? Or is it still too early? 
Uh, it's a good question. I mean, Rosewater is absolutely ready. And if you have a high-end client that wants everything to work all the time, 100%, I have zero problems with the electronics behind it, as well as the Rosewater itself. Go sell that now. And there's, they make it easy. They, they help you with the engineering. They come out and they, and they assist you with the install, right? You don't have to be an electrical engineer to do this. They have their own engineers and they will guide you. Um, Sonnen, that's an emerging category that I haven't sold one of those yet. I'm insanely interested in it. And I'm thinking of it more of, I wonder if I could do that for a community, like a lot of homes selling to an HOA and something where they feed off each other. So that community has power that lasts longer and differently through environmental and non-environmental outages. Um, and it's a, it's a reason to move into that community because you've got this kind of, kind of like the way I would think fiber. Some of our communities have fiber. We'll move there if you're interested in that, right? What if you had clean power with battery plus you had um, fiber and so on? Well, now that, that particular community is more valuable than other neighboring gated communities. Got it. Uh, love, love that topic. And I, I'm sure everyone listening and watching is, is gained a lot just from hearing you talk about how you see that. I want to jump to a different topic here. You uh, purchased your building and you have built out a beautiful show space, maybe one of the best in your own mind's eye of what it means to have automation and technology. In fact, I'm my, my voice, this isn't automation, but for AV, I just have to get that out there. I told you I would. My, you're hearing me through what? You said a $10,000 amp speakers configuration right now. We got to geek out. What, what, how are you listening to me right now? Yeah, I know. It, it's stupid, right? Because I, we have Cisco telepresence phones and you wanted to do this Facebook thing. You're like, oh, I don't have a webcam. I don't have mic. I don't like, I have a four monitor PC for power computing, right? And then I have a phone for communications. Um, and then we got on here and I could barely hear you. So I'm Bluetooth streaming from my PC to an NAD M50.2 that is connected to Dynaudio, high-end Dynaudio XD digital speakers. That is the, uh, and then I have the mic you sent me, the, the really nice blue mic. So yeah. you sound great, like you're right here. <laughs> perfectly. I, I have never sounded so good. That, that's right. good to know. That's funny. Um, tell me about your vision for the show space, and, and it, it clearly uh, is an investment, And but you found it to be, you, you have opinions on what it's been done for you and your business. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so one thing that irritates me is when you call a company that's supposed to be a technology leader and you get passed around five times and messages left, and no one seems to really know what that company does except one guy right? Or two guys or, or gals or whatever. So the, the idea for this showroom is everything here is working the way um, it assists our business and we live and use it every day. For example, when you ring the doorbell outside, which is actually a Mobotics, um, you know, SIP enabled endpoint, it will ring on our Crestron touchscreens. I got one right on my wall here and it'll ding dong through the ceiling speakers through an interrupt right? Um, if someone opened the door, that contact closure flips the camera on the front door and puts it on all of our TVs. We all can see that someone came in, they're in the, because I don't have a receptionist up front. 
And um, so whether it's the UPS guy and we and it rings and I open the garage door automatically, everyone's got a touch panel at their desk, whether it be an iPad or a Crestron native panel. We have um, DM switching going on in here, audio and so forth. But I wanted every single person from accounting all the way through dispatch, inventory, marketing, everyone to live, use, breathe the technology every single minute of their working day in here. So that if somebody would walk in or call and there's a question, well, everybody here knows what we're doing. They use it. It's not the, oh yeah, I don't know anything. Go get Jeff. No, you should be able to do a demo and show people how this technology works. And if you don't believe it and understand how it works after using it all the time, then you're probably not the best person to be working in an automation company. You don't have that passion, right? But between all of this, I, I think it made us better because we communicate and we also use it as our own live lab. I guarantee this stuff works because we use it. And, and if I couldn't receive the five, 10 shipments that come here every day and that doorbell, video doorbell wasn't reliable and the control system wasn't fast enough to respond, I would know about it. I would absolutely know about it. And we test things for our vendors in here, whether it be new video technology, audio or cameras or whatever, and we use it. So I've seen showrooms over the years and I'm going to tell you an observation I have, and then tell me if that's your case, and if not, how you combat it. I've seen showrooms that on day one were stunning, but by year three, they are only fractionally up and running because they've been pieced and parted and, and spares sent out to job sites and you name it. And so the original vision is hard. Uh, maybe it was great in that first year when everyone was pumped and excited, but keeping it ongoing is is a challenge. How do yeah. you how do you manage that? Right. Yeah. Good. Good question. So, this is not a museum. This is not like there's your showroom. Go over there, and and then we go in the back office and and work. This is what we use every day. I promise you, if a camera wasn't working or a touch panel wasn't working somebody would be screaming that they don't have what they need to do their job. And, and I don't care whether what it is, network related, camera related, audio related, control related, whatever. So it's very much in our interest in the fabric of the way we work, that everything needs to work. And if it isn't working, it's actually problematic for us. The conference room wouldn't be available because the video isn't working or the TV or whatever, that would be a problem. We put a work order into our system. We have an internal customer, um, BTA comma internal, and we create a work order, goes up to dispatch, someone gets assigned to it. It's just like any other one of our so-called white glove clients where we dispatch, we do it, we keep track of our turnaround time. We have loaner equipment. If something is broken, we put that in so that we keep working and then we get it repaired and change it out. So we just take it seriously, just like we would any client. It's interesting to hear you say that uh, with at One Firefly, it, there was at times in our past where some of our own marketing initiatives, maybe updating the website or making something, make a brochure or a sign, it was considered like, you know, we were the poppers children or the, the shoemakers children that, that weren't getting the shoes or didn't have shoes. And we did what you just said. We made ourselves a client and we get prioritized and... Now those go in as work orders. And so they get done in the same way that we would address a client's work. And right. it's amazing. Everything now is flowing and smooth. 
uh, and I, I'm wondering if those listening treat themselves like clients or if they think of themselves in some way less than and therefore their showrooms fall apart. Well, there's nothing worse than a client walking through the door and you making an excuse about the very thing that you're selling. Oh, no, 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 we got the hood open. Whatever. I hate that. And besides that, I enjoy this and it bothers me if it's not working. Some of my stuff isn't working. It, 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 it grinds on me. I don't like it. And I think I have other similar minded people working with me here that, that feel the same way. If it's not working, then fix it. You know, that's what we're here for. Love it. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here, mindful of time for everyone involved. Um, what's your outlook for 2021? Uh, you mean financial or mission or what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Uh, business outlook. Uh, what what do you, do you feel that 2021 is going to be better for you than 2020? And or, and or what has you concerned and what are you doing about those concerns? Right. So 2020 taught us a few things. On the one hand, we learned that we were essential, right? Because for the longest time, we all- Aren't we all so happy to learn that we were essential? Yeah. yeah. That was interesting to us because we just thought, oh, yeah, I need, you know, food, shelter, and social relationships, and then we'll go to the AV guy, right? You like, didn't know Netflix was on the list of essentials. Right, right. Yeah, and so we, we learned on the one hand that we were essential. On the other hand, we learned that there is another whole category of external forces that I cannot control that can take us down, whether it's the mortgage, some mortgage thing, a stock market crashing, you know, blah, 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 hurricanes, this, that, and then now pandemics, right? So um, we started another initiative, and I would say inspired a bit about the, uh, the marketing vision. So we hired a full-time business analyst, and um, we are going through, we just kind of revamped our own mission statement um, and to include a higher focus on reoccurring revenue. And I don't mean just service contracts. I mean, soft, software as a service like selling video conferencing systems, um, selling network systems with subscriptions, things, and that's just part of them. So we're creating new, um, they call OKRs, which is objective-based key results, where you set an objective. I want 20% of my, my objective is I want my payroll to be covered by a reoccurring revenue this year. I want to not have to take jobs that I don't want to take because I have to make payroll. I don't want to be put in that situation again because you just end up shifting that problem three months down the road. And, and you know, it's all about cash flow and this and that. So I want to remove that burden from us and then, and then be able to have more strategic jobs. So the business analyst was tasked with that started in November about analyzing every part of our, of our business and try and figure out a way to create everybody on this mission to get us off of this lumpy little, what did you sell for me last week kind of train that we're on. Well, I, uh, I think you have a, a, at least a fan in Chris. Uh, Smith dropped RMR as a core component and goal is spot on. Yeah, I, I can, from personal experience, uh, Jeff here at One Firefly in our early days, we were mostly project-based. 
And uh, for me, it was in 2015 that we took a pivot to focus on RMR and finding, you know, it really affects everything, right? It affects where do you spend your R&D money and time to invent new products and services if you know that RMR is a focus. Yeah. And uh, it, it was nothing short of, um, I mean, what gave us, you know, the ability and confidence to pull through 2020 is that RMR. It's, it's magic, especially when projects, project-based revenue freezes up. Maybe it's, maybe it's not, um, maybe it's not canceled, but just it's delayed. It's delayed. Right. Your payroll still goes on. Your mortgage still goes on. Right. Exactly. It's, it's it's scary. I think that's genius. I want to close on this. Um, Jeff, what's a a piece of, you've already given us a lot of advice and great ideas, but I'm going to ask you as a closing, what is uh, what is something you've learned along the way that you think the integrators listening might find value in or something that if they considered it might make their businesses a little bit better? Well, uh, you know, I would say you're as good as what you can measure. You've got to figure out what are the dials in your company and how to keep your eye on that and how to get everybody in the company knowing about those those things, being aware of them and contributing in a positive way. You know, ignorance is not bliss. Transparency is bliss. Everyone's got to know what to do and how to contribute to that end goal. And if you're having a rough time, don't go in a corner, shut the door and start pulling your hair out. How am I going to make payroll? You involve the team. There are real people there that can help solve problems if they understand it. And, and, and hopefully you're not coming to them in the 13th hour that it's something that we see the tea leaves weeks, months in advance, and we just make little course corrections because we're driving a boat. It doesn't turn on a, on a dime. We have to kind of move it back and forth. So figure out how your company runs, figure out where you want to go and start plotting a course. Love it. Jeff, how can the folks listening or watching uh, get in touch with you or learn more about uh, Boca Tech? Uh, if you want to reach me personally, probably email is still the, the best thing, Jeff at Boca Tech dot com um and that's usually uh best so i can time shift that but uh yeah i'd say that's that's the way to go all right jeff at bocatech.com jeff it was a pleasure to have you on show 157 of automation unplugged uh it's a pleasure to be here thank you thanks for tuning in to another episode of automation unplugged For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.